Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 24-year breast cancer survivor, a certified life coach, and the author of my new book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. Available on Amazon. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, Sharon, that was a long work in progress, so I'm just so proud of you for getting that Thank out. You. Thank you. Um, and I'm Becky Olson. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a four-time, nearly 22-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I just got my last clean bill of health in January. And I'm also a motivational speaker and a speaker mentor, and I'm also the author of The Hat That Saved My Life, also available on in Kindle format on Amazon. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, that's our selfless plug, but it's our show. We can do whatever we want. Uh, <laughs> Sharon and I are also the co-founders of Breast Friends. And Sharon, I know you had a really interesting experience this week. But- I did. I did. And I wanted to share it with my, with our audience because, um, I think it's something that sometimes we forget and, um, uh, we're actually getting ready to sell our house and, uh, that's quite a process in itself. But one of our neighbors who's especially kind of disappointed pointed that we're going to be moving is an older gentleman who was just diagnosed with lung cancer. And it is metastatic. It's also in his hip. And I had the pleasure of going to one of his doctor's appointments this week um, to kind of get a sense of really what what the seriousness of, of this diagnosis was. But what I really wanted to talk about, too, was his initial um, appointment that I was not, and actually no one was at with him. He was by himself. He's 84. And he heard the news that he had cancer and his doctor wouldn't really answer his questions like, how long do I have? You know, what's the prognosis? That kind of stuff. He left that appointment thinking he was going to be dead by the end of the week. I mean, honestly, he was so afraid. And luckily, we had some time to have another conversation after that. And and I explained to him that his doctors really don't know the answer to those questions. But for him to leave him in that kind of vulnerable place was really a shame. And I, I I was sorry that he had to go through that, um, especially by himself. And so by the time we finished this appointment, of course, I knew, I know a lot more about cancer than he does. And, excuse me, and by going through that with him, you know, I'm like, well, you may not live to 101, but you're not going anywhere for a long time. I was able to confidently tell him that and he needs to have another test to make sure that things are you know going to be okay uh and and which treatment plan he will actually forge but you know i i i it was just an, an amazing reminder to me that sometimes especially our elderly neighbors the the people in our life um they don't know about cancer they don't understand all of this, and especially from his generation, 
question. I mean, cancer was definitely a death sentence. And so that was his point of reference. And I think it's just really important to understand that we we really need to be be there for the, our neighbors and be there for um, those more vulnerable populations. And of course, we're all getting older, so <laughs> I'll be one of those too one of these days. But, <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. I just want to make sure that people understand how important it is to step up and be there for other people. You know, Sharon, that is such a perfectly appropriate segue into our our topic today. Um, You know, we have a couple of guests with us who are both doctors. We have Dr. Joe Hoffmeister and Dr. Aaron McRae, and they co-authored the book, How Breast Cancer is Like a Dandelion, which I love love that title. I love the title. I know. Uh And and the whole um, kind of gist of what we're going to talk about today is empowering patients to make decisions with confidence. And it sounds to me like with what you did for your gentleman neighbor, you really helped him do that. And so we're going to talk about that today with our guests. So welcome, Dr. Joe and Dr. Aaron. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Well, we're happy to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you. Why don't we start by just getting to know both of you a little bit. So Dr. Joe, please take a minute and tell us what you do. Um, yeah, so I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I'm married to another doctor, Dr. Marietta Hoffmeister. Um, we have four fantastic children, Bridget, Abby, Izzy, and Ted. Um, I'm a full-time practicing community oncologist and have been practicing for over 17 years. Uh, I work at Columbus Oncology and Hematology Associates and now uh, joining your ranks of being an author and, and co-founder of uh, Dr. Joe Explains. Yay, I love that. <laughs> Wonderful. And I Aaron, just- what... Oh, sorry, um, go ahead. I just wanted to say, I just spoke in Columbus recently in October. I was there speaking at an event at one of the local hospitals there. So I wish I'd known you. I could have had coffee with you. Absolutely. But whatever. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> next time, right? Next, next time, absolutely. Yep. So, Erin, tell us a little bit about you. So, um, I am also a medical oncologist. I've been taking care of breast cancer patients for about the last seven years. Um, I am a partner with Dr. Joe at Columbus Oncology and Hematology, and uh, I'm lucky enough to be the co-author on our book, How Breast Cancer is Like a Dandelion. Wonderful. And so, Dr. Joe, let's go back to you. Why did you get into this field to begin with? Because obviously, oncology is a, is a tough field. Yeah, it's a very tough field. Um, I became an oncologist. My dad, when I was in high school, uh, got diagnosed with acute uh, lymphoblastic leukemia, and actually a fairly rare subtype. Um, This obviously changed my life at that time. I was the only male of my family. I ended up taking on a lot of responsibilities, but we really wouldn't change that time for uh, anything. He he provided me great insight into life, how to uh, treat other people, uh, and really to take responsibility um, I also really was interested in chemistry, and so I attended uh, Villanova University, ended up at uh, the University of Pittsburgh, where I met my wife and had our first two children, um, and then and that allowed me to, to really become an oncologist um, That's and, and really, really like taking care of patients. Yeah, that's great. And Erin, how about you? How did you get into the field of oncology? So actually, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a lab scientist. And what I quickly realized is that I wasn't really cut out for the lab. I enjoyed taking care of patients more. So I went more into the clinical realm. And as far as women with breast cancer, I really enjoyed women's health. And I enjoyed the science and the the ability to really be an integral part of 
a patient's life. So I kind of went in the direction of helping primarily breast cancer patients and uh, getting them through their journey. Wonderful, wonderful. And boy, oh boy, we appreciate that to have people who have the heart. And it sounds like both of you really do have the heart for this. That's amazing. Dr. Aaron, just real quick, did you have a family, did you have a a family history anywhere in in, uh, breast cancer in your family or... You know, I don't really have a specific life event or a, or a family that was affected. I more honestly okay. came through it being interested in the science of it. Okay. And, um, and then I really was turned on to more of the, the healing nature of being a physician. So kind of blending those two things together brought okay. me to oncology. Okay. Great. That's cool. Great. Sometimes there's, there's just some kind of family connection. So, yeah. so it's good. Yeah. And, and so Aaron, what would you, what would you say that your greatest challenges, um, when you, when you do this kind of work, what, what are your greatest challenges? Well, you know, when a patient is first diagnosed with breast cancer, um, you know, you are not only their doctor, but a lot of times you're a support person, you're a therapist and in really great ways. So kind of patients are scared and they're confused and, my greatest challenge is really just trying to take them from something that I take care of every day and helping them to understand and navigate their next steps. So that's why I really got involved with this project, kind of take it more um, from what we just do here with Dr. Joe and I in our everyday life to kind of giving it um, and putting it down in words and hopefully helping more people through better understanding of these types of situations. Mm-hmm. It makes- is. It's so complicated, isn't it? You know, especially somebody like Sharon, like your neighbor. You know, never been through something like this, and and it's just like you know that old proverbial deer in the headlight phrase. Uh, you oh, know, it definitely. is so much like that. So being and able to take them, you know, step by step is really, really a gift. And and, under- and understanding that their perspective is different than yours, and the the way they process information is different, and I mean, there's just so much to it. And being that first line when you're actually having to tell people that they are diagnosed with something as serious as cancer, yeah, I can imagine that would be a, a challenge all in itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, for like, sure. Oh boy, yeah. So, and, and Dr. Joe, what, what are the greatest blessings would you say that come out of, uh, of practicing medicine in the oncology field? Yes. You know, one of the true blessings, and I have, I have lots of blessings, um, in my life and my family and friends are really my biggest focus. I really try to extend that, uh, to my patients, which really give me the inspiration to, to keep going and to keep trying and to keep educating patients. Um, you know, my joy of being a doctor uh, when we're not too busy is is really getting to know them, asking them, you know, about them and about their families. And and honestly, we see our patients probably more than you know my oldest children. They're they're away, um, and so right. they they really enter our lives as well if you let them. Um, and and that's been a reward. And I've learned more and more over the last several years, uh, really trying to understand the patient perspective. Um, and really gaining that insight into those initial events like you described with your neighbor. Um, you know, coming from a doctor's side, it's very different. But the rewarding part is really learning about and getting to know all those diverse patients, um, you know, that I never would have met before. Exactly. You know, I, I have things- to... Oh, go ahead, Sharon. 
Oh, I was just going to say, that's one of the things that uh, doing our, our work at Breast Friends, you know, I've said that over and over again, that uh, meeting these amazing women day after day after day is just really such a blessing for all of us. So, yeah, go ahead, Becky. Yeah. Well, I was just going to comment that, you know, a lot of times, because oncology is a tough field, I rem- when I was first diagnosed, I remember somebody saying to me, well, don't expect to get close to your doctor because oncologists lose a lot of patients, and so they tend to be very cold <laughs> and distant. And um, I was not excited for my first oncology appointment because of that. But then I turned out, I got to meet, you know, my first doctor, and she was wonderful. She was my little my little tree hugger, hippie doctor. That's kind of how I describe her because she wore Bir- Birkenstocks and baggy clothes. But she was a very much of a hugger and very affectionate and really got to know me as a person. And she was just the kindest you know, so she kind of broke that mold for that I was expecting. And I'm just guessing uh, we're going to get to this and look, you know, shortly here, but you guys sound like you've kind of broken that mold as well. So very happy to have you on our show. Um, can we, can we uh, take a little different direction for just a moment? And um, Dr. Joe, I want to ask you, because we're going to, we have a you know a few more minutes before we go out to break, but the, the topic today is empowering patients to make decisions with confidence why do you think, what stops people from from feeling empowered and, and having that confidence? What, what's the biggest culprit, do you think? You know, so Sharon pointed out a lot of, uh, a lot of the points that we, we consider when we're dealing with a new diagnosed patient. Um, you know, I think patients, there's several types. Some embrace their disease, some don't. Um, but in my opinion, they really need to be part of their healthcare team. Uh, they need to actively participate in their care. They need to help make decisions. And those decisions change based on their personal goals, where they are in the life, um, and then really what the goal of quality of life is for them. Um, you know, I think patients have many obstacles to feeling empowered. I think patients are very intimidated by medical language. Um, that uncomfortableness you felt when you first went into the doctor's office not knowing, that can be a huge hurdle. Um, the anxiety and emotion and fear that patients have when they're newly diagnosed uh, really impact their memory, impact their mm-hmm. ability to even hear what we're saying. Um, you know, so I think the first steps to empowering a patient is to understand the medical words and then try to understand their disease. Um, yeah. If I can uh, give you a kind of an example of what I use with my patients. Um, so I describe it to them that they're the captain of the ship. Uh, I'm a navigator. I tell them what their options are and what paths we can take. I usually will offer a preferred recommended path, but they ultimately, uh, we decide together what is best for them. Uh, And I encourage patients to be the captain of the ship and not the passengers. Boy, that is such a wonderful approach. Joe, that's really interesting. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, this is Erin. Joe and I have never talked about that personally, but I use the exact same thing when I talk oh, to patients. Great. I say, you're the captain <laughs> of your ship. Um, <laughs> except instead that's of the so navigator, cool. I say I'm the first mate, but pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. And so many times I think when a patient is brand new and dealing with this for the very first time, they feel like anything but a captain. So to be able to give them that power and you're going to help them make their decisions, that's that's really important. Um, so, Dr. Joe, I have to ask you, because I know that on your book cover and on some of your, your website, you've come up with this phrase, Dr. Joe Explains. How'd you come up with that? It's very clever. Tell me about that. 
Uh, you know, that's a really funny story. Um, this whole I'll bet. I had a feeling there was one uh, idea of developing patient education started in Big Sky and with our family, uh, just talking about doing something together. And then what it developed, like everything that we do at Dr. Joe Explains, there's nothing individual. We do everything by a team approach. We do everything by team decisions. And so we came up with many ideas uh, of different ways of trying to get across what our message is. And in this case, my wife, uh, Marietta, and my daughter, Abby, uh, they, they always lead the way, but they led the way in this one. And <laughs> the phrase, it, it means a lot. So, you know, Dr. Joe represents uh, the team, and we're there, and we're there for you. We really are the, trying to be the team that is a medical translator for patients. Um, and then the other is, is we're not telling you what to do, but we're just trying to explain it in a new way okay. that everybody can understand it easily, and we try to simplify the information. Yeah, yeah. That's, I that's mean, it, a cancer in itself is just such a big topic. Like you said, you almost have to learn a whole new language when you are diagnosed with something like this and you can figure out what all of it means and you know sitting with our neighbor um uh just a couple of days ago i mean he has so many options and again i'm i'm used to the breast cancer world and he actually has some really fascinating um you know options before he ever even gets to, to chemotherapy he has um, targeted therapy, and then he has immunotherapy if if the tumor is the appropriate type. And then chemotherapy is actually the third thing that they would offer him, which is interesting. And it's different for everybody. So it that's, is. no wonder it gets so confusing. It's well, very we want to talk more about Dr. Joe Explains, but we're going to go out to a break. So if you will all stay tuned, we'll be back in just a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about empowering patients to make decisions with confidence with Dr. Joe Hoffmeister and Dr. Aaron McKay. So before we get um, talking specifically about um, Aaron's favorite part of the te- being part of the team, I wanted to know a, a little more about the team. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, um, tell me, Dr. Joe, what the team actually consists of. Um, so, yeah, we're a team of medical experts, which include, uh, on the breast book, Dr. McCray, uh, who's our medical editor and contributor. We have a uh, provider advocacy board that we've developed, which includes um, psychologists, uh, oncology nurses, advanced practice providers, and cancer navigators as part of our review. But the difference is that we really incorporate, uh, really draw a line in the sand, all the writing is from non-medical providers um, or writers, and so we had a, a college student write the actual book, um, and then my daughter, who's an industrial engineer, was our literary our editor, and then we have literary editors, um, and then we have a design team that's non-medical that really gives it another layer of review, and then we've recently added a patient advocacy board for review, which really incorporates a patient understanding and making sure everything is sensitive and we're saying it correctly. Um, and then you know, we've learned yeah. a lot from our patients. Um, mm-hmm. and we, and we did a video uh, on Anne who I learned more about patient care and what she was dealing with, uh, than, than any other aspect of, of my career. Um, and so we're, we're truly a team. And when you look at it, it's about 10 levels of review, uh, before it actually gets into print. That's wonderful. That's great. And so does this team so, carry over into the clinic too, or is it just really specifically about the book? So I think everybody's adopted, um, you know, the techniques that we've used in the books and what okay. we've incorporated. And I know I have, and, and I pay way more attention to patients' um, feelings now more and what they're dealing with more since uh, taking on this this endeavor. Okay, yeah, cool. That's good. Yeah, I know one of the things, Things that I have um, said many many times is cancer is many times like the second, third, or fourth horrible thing that happens to people. You know, it's it's crazy how life circumstances uh, happens, and then you get cancer. <laughs> you know, one of those things. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, so, and there's there's probably some some reasons for that because of the stress from other the other things, and you know, oh, just so many. It. So many reasons around all that. Yeah. So, Dr. Aaron, what is your favorite part of being on, on Dr. Joe Explains' team, and kind of what's your role in that? 
Sure. So, um, you know, Joe approached me as his uh, clinical partner about being a part of this book as really coming from a breast cancer expert. Um, And so from that, when we were writing, and I think this is where the kind of the Dr. Joe explains part comes in, um, Dr. Joe would always say, well, you know, Aaron, you're writing um, like a doctor and you're not thinking as much like a patient. So while a lot of the techniques that I use in this book, I think they've really been honed and changed and perfected more from the patient perspective. So while I feel like we're educating patients or we're educating family members, really the book in turn educated me on the ways I think I was doing a good job and other ways that I think I really could have improved or perfected better. So from the non-medical perspective, you know, they would tell me, oh, that, that really doesn't make any sense, or could you explain that a little better? Um, and so that's really been my favorite part is the learning that I have done, um, just part of this whole process. So it's been very rewarding. Yeah. Sounds like the doctors and the medical providers probably need this book as much as the patients. Huh? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we have gotten some really great feedback from Um, physicians, nurses, and advanced practice providers that they are using this book to help train um, their um, trainees on how to talk to patients and kind of some of those barriers. So we found that it's not only educational for patients, but it's definitely been educational for caregivers. That's wonderful. I can see how it would be that way. So, so Aaron, what do you think um, are some of the most important words of wisdom or advice for patients to know so they can make their decisions with confidence? Well, the most important thing is that a breast cancer diagnosis is going to be different for every patient. And so not only, you know, is a woman or a man with breast cancer's prognosis and treatment different and can it vary from patient to patient, but really kind of their reaction to having cancer and their reaction to their journey ahead can be, you know, really independent. And so I, I try to encourage patients to, you know, um, to be patient with themselves, to try to listen to themselves. Um, I try as a physician to understand where each patient's coming from. For example, a patient may come in and say, okay, I'm ready. Let's go to the next step, the next, the next step. And they seem very prepared, but, Maybe they're not feeling what they should. Or another patient comes in and they're very angry and just trying to get to the root of those issues. So, um, or another patient may come in and, and she's very tearful. So I think, you know, some of the wisdom and some of the ways where this book can provide some additional help is trying to, um, you know, give them empowerment and tools to help them deal with their emotions because that's really going to be probably some of the more challenging things that they have to deal with, not to mention some of the, you know, the obvious physical changes that they may be going through. Right. Sure. Right. And you did yeah. mention that you're more of a therapist at times. I can see, you know, how that can happen for sure. Because I, I remember when I was first diagnosed, I was kind of a hot mess. I, you know, that was back in 1996 now at this point, but it was a, it's difficult. And I considered myself a pretty strong woman and I was, you know, career oriented and, but it just, 
comes out of nowhere sometimes. And, and, you know, it's hard to know what people should be feeling, but, you know, they feel what they feel. And having to be in that role of a therapist sometimes is, is challenging at best. But it sounds like you guys have kind of figured out, you know, a way to make that work for you. So, um, so Joe, what do you think are the biggest challenges in patient care? Yeah, I think Aaron hit on, you know, a lot of them, which is in the initial anxiety uh, and the emotion. Um, I was kind of explained emotion is feeling. Uh, it's really not controllable and it can really interfere in performance. What we try to focus on is striving and, and really passion, which is what drove us to, you know, making this project work. And I think from a patient perspective, I'll go into my analogies again, but it, you know, if you're traveling to a foreign country and, and you end up in a foreign country that's unexpected and you have no plans and you don't know how to speak the language, I think that's what it feels like to be told you have cancer. You know, oh, yeah. you, you don't know where you're going, you don't know how to get home. And then, so like these travelers, patients have to, you know, face the fear of the unknown and that can be quite mm-hmm. scary. They have to understand complicated foreign words that are hard to pronounce and and then they have to move beyond that to try to accept their cancer to to really participate in their own care. So how do you suggest, you know, short short of reading your book cuz not everyone has access to the book or, you know, the money to purchase the book. What what kind of steps do you encourage your patients when when they're sitting there in front of you and they're they're kind of that hot mess like I was. How do you, what do you do or say, how do you encourage them to be able to start that first step forward to get past that place where they can even hear what's, what's going on? It's a, it's a tough place to be. So what do you guys do to get them past that? Erin, do you want to take this one or? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I thought it was interesting how, you know, you describe yourself as a hot mess or it was described before that oncologists are cold. Um, In my experience, I think, you know, and I'm biased, I'm an oncologist, but a lot of times (laughs) oncologists are very warm, but most importantly, they're very optimistic. (laughs) And, And so in my experience, what I do for a patient who comes in who feels like they're having information overload or anxiety or very strong emotions is you just take it step by step. And and I try to accomplish very small goals at each part because a lot of times a patient comes in and then you hear cancer and then after that, you don't really hear too much more after that. Especially a lot of the the conversations we have with very in-depth, you know, things such as different types of surgery or different types of chemotherapy. So I think it's about developing a rapport with a patient. I think it's about taking it tiny steps. It's about, you know, trying to understand where the patient is and then trying to understand and how best can I get a patient to get to the location where she can feel better and feel empowered like we've been talking about this whole show. Good, yeah. You know, it's I think to Sharon's what Sharon did with her neighbor you know, sometimes just having somebody come with you, even if they don't know. I mean, Sharon, he was lucky because Sharon knows so much about cancer, knows a lot of the questions to ask. But sometimes just having that extra person with you to take notes, um, write down what the doctor said, because you're not going to remember, to your point, Aaron, later you hear that word, and that's, that's pretty much it. So you don't hear anything beyond that. And for a person who really can't do that, can't bring somebody with them for whatever reason, take your smartphone and put it on record mode and record the conversation because you may 
you know, need to remember some of those things later. Um, the other piece of this that I really want to just address briefly is the waiting game. You know, once a person is told they have cancer or probably have cancer, and then they have to wait for, you know, the biopsies to come back and all of that really, really devastates some of us, you know, emotionally and mentally our mind plays tricks on us. And all of a sudden, I'm a worrier. Sharon knows has known me for many, how many years? Now, Sharon? And <laughs> I'm a worrier. <laughs> and yeah, and it's kind of like all the what ifs start to happen. And no matter you how have, much you try you not yourself, to. You have yourself buried, you know, dead yeah. and buried by the time. Oh, and you're, in your case, you had your, your husband been married off to a bimbo. I did. And I was so mad. Oh my God. I was really mad. Um, <laughs> but it's true. And so many of us kind of go through that. So, you know, not making them wait too long, I think is, is, is a really important thing as well. So I just wanted to say that. Well, so well, oh, Becky, go ahead. I think one of, oh, I'm sorry. No, sorry. I was going to just say to that too, I actually think this is where education comes in again, because a lot of times, you know, Dr. Joe and I are involved in patients even before they have a diagnosis. And most patients want to say, well, if this is cancer, how are we going to treat it? And you need a lot more information before then. And the hurry up and wait can be incredibly devastating. Yeah. So I spend a lot of times just educating patients on the process of diagnosis, the process That's of wonderful. staging. And understanding yeah. that those puzzle pieces have to come together before you can make a treatment decision. Yeah, that's really good. And and again, it depends on kind of how how it comes to you, you know. So that's great. That's that's good. Having a plan is always is always a good step toward being successful in this. So, um, Doctor Joe, what challenges do you find that providers face in dealing with? with cancer and diagnoses and working with patients. What are some of those, what are some of those challenges? Yeah, so there's many. Uh, one is time. I mean, physicians just don't have a lot of time, and we'd love to spend way more time, but, you know, doing this job and trying to care for patients is, is hard and takes a lot of time. The information that we cover is extremely complex. It's challenging and uh, for the patient emotionally. It can be challenging for providers. And then the information changes uh, by the day, and that's hard for patients to kind of grasp. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the language you use is, again, a foreign language, and we, you know, as providers don't really get training on uh, the patient communication information pieces in medical school, or at least when I went, you know, using layman terms are really difficult to learn, and it's taken me a long time to do that. Um, and so I think there's lots of challenges providers face, you know, that, that, are, that really create this bridge uh, and a gap yeah. between patients and physicians. Yeah, you know, I sense. actually fired a doctor over a piece of Kleenex. Um, when my first doctor retired, she passed me to a colleague who then did all my follow-ups for the next six years. And then when I was diagnosed that second time, which was eight years after my first diagnosis, my doctor was, she had no clue what I needed because she never got to know me. Um, she used language that was just, you know, way beyond what I needed to hear right now. And when she finally realized that I was crying, when my husband went up over and grabbed a box of Kleenex from in front of her, um, to wipe my eyes, she assumed I was crying over the, <laughs> over the cancer diagnosis, but I was actually crying over the fact that I'd been invited to speak at a Susan G. Komen luncheon, and I was afraid they'd find out and cancel me. And I really didn't want to be canceled, you know, because this was really important. And when she heard that, she said, you shouldn't be thinking about that. You need to be 
just thinking about your health. And clearly this was someone who didn't know me very well. And so I actually switched doctors and went to a, another one who has taken care of me ever since. And he's, he's been wonderful. And he, so I, I think, you know, like you, I think you said it, Aaron, just kind of getting to know your patients a little bit and, you know, finding out just what their needs are and, and what makes them tick, I think is really huge. So, um, and again, you guys sound like you're right, right in that, that place with your patients. So that's really good. Um, Joe, real quick, what, what, in addition to analogies, what other elements contribute to a positive relay of patient education? What do you think? Yeah. So this is, uh, this kind of goes into an experience I had. My, when my dad was dealing with his leukemia and my mom would go to an appointment with him, you know, they'd come back and say, Hey, I, I don't understand what word they just said. And it was, they would fight over what was actually said. And so, you know, mm-hmm. two people in a room who are highly educated didn't even hear the same thing. Um, <laughs> so we've, we've really tried to incorporate different aspects into uh, patients and having them try to understand. So we put in like real world pronunciations, like adjuvant, which is yeah, chemotherapy. I was actually before. just looking at that. <laughs> yeah, so we put those right in the line so then they learn actually how to pronunciate it so that when they hear it, they recognize it. We put the simple definitions on the page and then we really try to explain medical jargon. Um, you know, the, the government really says patient education be at five, grade five. We tried that. It's in simple and insulting to readers. And so we, we incorporated all these little things into a page to really keep... Uh, the level of reading easy, yet um, not not insulting. Um, right. And then we did many different things. The visual and the design team really helped the book flow and try to create a relaxing kind of a component to it. We purposely put small amounts of information on each page so patients flip and have pauses. Um, we have the summaries at the end, and what I in the clinic do is really ask patients to read repeat back what I just said, and I incorporate summaries into my daily, like I recap what I just said, and I ask them to repeat it. That tells me they heard it, they, they, they understand it. And then, you know, going back to your neighbor, I always encourage uh, more family and friends to participate in the visits because people do hear things. And I'll give you a quote from my dad. Um, he said, four years are better than two. And yeah. I think that means True. a lot. Yeah. And it sounds like still you have to tape, you have to record it sometimes, even then, if you're still arguing over what was said. Listen, we're going to go out to break. And so when we come back, we're going to talk more about the book specifically, um, what it what it's about and who it's targeting and how to get a copy of it. So, so stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. 
When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Uh, we've been talking about empowering patients to make decisions with confidence with Dr. Joe Hoffmeister and Dr. Aaron McRae. So I want to thank you guys so much because when I got back from um, being on this little thriving cruise that I went uh, on, there was this beautiful book sitting on my desk waiting for me. And so it's very pretty. It's easy to read. And I just was curious who your intended audience is. Yes, I think the biggest value that we've learned from this book is really for newly diagnosed patients and taking those first steps and then really uh, traveling along the journey with the book um, is, I think, the biggest patient that would benefit from it. The common statement we hear from survivors is, you know, I, I really wish I had this book when I was diagnosed. Exactly. And so, you know, then that's, that's who we're, we're doing, which is really it's a friend telling a person diagnosed, hey, go get this book because uh, okay. it will really help you. Great, great. You know, we, we hear something similar with breast friends, don't we, Sharon? Yeah, people. we sure do. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people yeah. don't find us right away, but then when they finally do, they go, well, why didn't I know about you sooner? Well, yeah. we're working on that, okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so what what led you guys to wanting to write a book? Um, Just you know, so I, when I see patients and I use my analogies and I have literally over hundreds of them that I use every day. Um, patients really kind of light up, they perk up um, when I ask them to recall, like, hey, did you understand what I meant by the dandelion? Oh, yeah, that, that sounds familiar. Um, and, I, and I think there is a gap uh, from layman's perspective and patient perspective. There's really a gap in communicating. I think doctors, you know, believe they do a great job and they are really trying to do a great job, but it doesn't, doesn't always connect and it doesn't always bridge that gap. So um, this was, again, a family endeavor that we all did at nights and weekends, and we were just trying to help patients really get to this point where they can grasp their, their disease and understand their disease, uh, really in a non-threatening way. And so mm-hmm. this, is, this book is specifically about breast cancer, um, and this is the first book in what I assume is going to be a series down the road? Uh, yeah, that's correct. It was, um, uh, it was a complicated choice of which 
you know, disease to tackle first, but it's really dedicated to my aunt and my uh, godmother uh, who had breast cancer, Aunt Margie. Um, and then ultimately it was a group decision uh, between, you know, my wife, my daughters, the design team. Um, and we just felt the breast community was really an engaged uh, patient population. Um, they commonly seek information, yet there still was this gap. Um, you know, yeah. despite having all this information on the web, we just felt there wasn't a translator out there f- for patients to get started. <laughs> Boy, isn't that the truth. So what? how would you sum up the philosophy behind this book? Yeah, so Dr. Joe explains again as the team, um, we're divided really devoted to guiding patients and loved ones through life-changing diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to you know, provide essential information simply, compassionately, and offer support to patients and loved ones, kind of helping people understand their disease in an easy way. Um, as you've kind of mentioned, we use really simple writing, uh, simple information to, to mm-hmm. provide confidence for patients to make decisions. And, and we're really adding a layer to the healthcare team, and we just like to be the first step. Uh, so they get the foundation, then go into the doctor's appointment, and then understand what the doctor's saying better. Well, I, I just love the look of this book. It's got so many, you know, great photos. I love the one. It's chapter 25. There's a photo of a woman leaning out the window of a car. She looks, I think that's what's going on there. You can see the back of her head. She's all relaxed. And it says, what's ahead? Survivorship. And I, I love that. It's just, you know, it's just got a really nice, you know, feel to that. And so, Aaron, what do you hope readers gain from reading the book? You know, my hope is that really um, a patient of mine comes in with the book and just starts taking notes on it or a loved one starts taking notes on it. I mean, that's really, you know, as Dr. Joe just said, it's supposed to be a partnership. It's supposed to be a guide, uh, you know, an adjunct to everything else and all the other information overload that a patient is getting. So so that's what I really hope is that it, the book is well-loved, it's it's used, it's it's got all kinds of notes in it, and that it's, it's something that patients can consistently go back to to say, oh, yeah, I remember when my doctor said that, or, oh, yeah, that makes more sense now that I'm going through it. And right. it seem, seems like they could then use this also with, with the other members of their medical team just kind of have almost have it like a little resource Bible or something, you know, is that kind of what you, what we envisioned there as well? Exactly. Oh, go ahead. ahead, One of my nurses, actually, that was her quote. And she's like, this is the roadmap. This is where patients will take their notes and know what's coming. Um, And and that was one of them. That was one of our nurse, uh, you know, nurse practitioners, uh, and that's exactly what she said. That's wonderful. So, Sharon, I think you had a couple questions about the dandelions. Yeah. Because yeah. okay. I'm curious, so, too. Yeah. And and so why did you just decide on, like, the dandelions and the cars as metaphors for this book? Uh, so it really fits really well. Um, so our whole concept is to really provide an image for a patient that's familiar, non-threatening. So if you go into your garden and you see your garden, it's a familiar vision. You know, you wake up one day and, and there's a dandelion. You didn't choose to plant a dandelion there, but it's there. It just happened. Um, and <laughs> yes, so, <it> is. <laughs> you know, when you, when you look at dandelions, they have very deep invasive root systems like cancer. They grow seeds. They blow in the wind and spread to other parts of the garden and other parts of the yard. And so the yard's like the whole body. Um, Surgeons use 
you know, shovels to try to remove the tumor. Um, we use shovels to remove the dandelion. You know, Aaron and I talk about weed killers and chemotherapy. And, and so the idea is to really relate a familiar experience and then extend it and provide the medical information in an easy way to, to understand the medical. Uh, cars, we use in a different way. So, you know, cars has an engine, gas, it's controlled by the pedals. Um, it really, we use it to describe how cancer goes wrong. You know, the gas pedal sticks. Or, you know, we use it to describe treatment, like you're going to block the gas line so the car can't run. And that's similar to hormonal treatment. You know, you kind of starve the cancer. Uh, You starve the car of gas so it can't run. Interesting. Well, those are very effective metaphors. I'm glad you've chosen those. Yeah, and I'm picturing that dandelion. you got to get it out of there before it does turn to seed and blows in the wind and spreads. Exactly. That's that's the whole idea of early detection, too. So that really is a great analogy. Uh, yeah, I can see I like why you do we've taken it. Yep. We've taken it one step further for patients with like high risk. Uh, we we mm-hmm. you know view that as a fertilized uh, garden. Doesn't mean the garden's going to get a dandelion, but it's just at higher risk to get a dandelion because it's been fertilized and watered. Ah, okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. So, Aaron, what what has the feedback been on the book so far? It sounds amazing. Oh, well, you know what? Um, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of amazing things in my life. And and I have to admit that one of the highlights of my career so far has been when a patient came in and said, I was searching on Amazon for interesting books and I ordered your book and I opened it up and I saw your picture and I said, I didn't even know this was by my own doctor. And that was just a really (laughs) cool and exciting experience. Um, and I would say, you know, once a week a patient comes in and says, thank you for your book. This really oh, helped nice. me. I, I read it or I'm taking notes in it and it's really just made a difference. And, and just yesterday that happened to me. So that's definitely, uh, we feel very blessed with the Dr. Joe team about the amazing feedback we've gotten so far. That's great. That's great. And, and I think you wrote the foreword, right? I did read. I did write the foreword, um, kind of just explaining from a breast cancer oncologist perspective the need, um, saying how I was inspired really by Dr. Joe's vision and the vision of the whole team, and kind of and how that's really impacted. I think on being a part of this book and the potential impact on patients. You know, we're very proud of our book, and we really hope it continues to make a difference um, in multiple patients' lives, not just the ones that we take care of. Right, and so what. What's the subject matter of the next one? Which cancer are you tackling? Uh, you know, so that, that we've had such great feedback. Um, we have partnered, and I've been fortunate enough to have uh, really nationally recognized uh, leaders in lung cancer, melanoma, colon cancer, uh, multiple myeloma. And so we've uh, started uh, putting those into outline form and really starting to create the uh, next books in lung, colon, um, and melanoma. We're also coming out with a couple other things. We've had a lot of requests for uh, trying to address children's needs and mm-hmm. trying to understand mm-hmm. their parent having uh, cancer and trying to how to have a parent-child conversation. So we're developing that aspect of care. Um, I've got way too many ideas of books in my head, <laughs> like how, you know, how a caregiver cares for a patient, which is, you know, how a gardener cares for the garden. Um, and we, we take that in different aspects. We're also coming out with little points of, um, points of care, what we're calling booklets. So little snippets. Uh, you know, you get 
abnormal mammogram for a callback, we've developed a breast biopsy uh, little booklet. Really only addresses one topic. Uh, we're hoping to have those, you know, use the same principles that we've used, and, and you may see those, uh, you know, even sooner than our next books. Uh, but we're, we're really excited and really trying to take it to a new level. Um, the other part of our mission, uh, which is is a charity, uh, we do donate a percent of all of our proceeds back to charity organizations, and um, we have that opportunity, and we're planning to do that with Breast Friends. Oh, uh, bless your heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank so, you. Before we run out of time, we got to find out how we buy the book. Uh, yeah, so we're available on uh, Amazon, as Aaron pointed out. And, you know, if you search breast and dandelion, uh, you probably will hit us. Um, okay. it, we also have our website, which is uh, drjoeexplains.com. Um, and the other uh, thing that we will be in bookstores and local shops, uh, but that's, that's coming in the next few months, we think. Um, but I do want to offer our listeners and the breast friends, uh, Dr. Joe explains if, if anybody is interested in ordering our book on our website. And if they put in the uh, discount code, donate breast friends, which is all one word, um, we will uh, donate $5 for every book purchased uh, back to the breast friends organization. That's excellent. And how much is your book? Uh, it's twenty four ninety nine. Okay, and it is a beautiful, I mean, it's just the, even the cover feels really nice about it. So before we run out of time, just real quick, I have one, one, one more question. What is the next book in the series? What do you think? Uh, so I have uh, Mark Szynski uh, in Florida, and he was previously at, at Pittsburgh, likely will be lung cancer. So your neighbor, okay. uh, hopefully we'll be have it available toward the end of this year. <laughs> oh, and, oh, that's um, great. That's great. And we're keep, well, we just keep moving. Well, you guys, you've been, this has been a wonderful show today. We really love what you're doing. We love your approach that you take with patients. So thank you both of you so much for giving up your, your time today to be on our show with us. Um, this show will repeat tonight at 9 p.m. on the same channel, and it will also be available in some other formats. So about an hour from now, it will be live in our archives so people can um, go back and play it if they missed it. So, um, But we're really excited to have you guys on our show. Um, just for our listeners out there, uh, we do have a new Breast Friends app that's available through Google Play or through the App Store. Again, it's re it's relatively new. In fact, it's very new. Um, we're trying to get people to download it, and there's a lot of really great information contained on that. Um, so, and also, if you just have questions about breast cancer or you need some support, you need to talk to somebody about you know what you're going through right now. And sometimes, you know, when you get done with treatment, and I know that doctors Joe and Aaron can attest to this, you get done with treatment and um, you're not done, you know, and that's part of why Breast Friends exists. You know, we work in partnership with many oncologists, but we kind of take it from there and keep going forward. So we work with patients that have been out of treatment for a, a good long time. So Sharon, I think you had one one time attend one of your uh, workshops that was out 20 years and still yeah, was yeah. dealing with some a, of the aftermath. Yeah. yeah, she had to deal with the uh, her reconstruction being redone. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So you just never know how long someone's going to take to get through this, but this is why Breast Friends exists. You can go to breastfriends.org for more information about us, and we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there's always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. 
Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.